Welcome to the live period. I'm your host, Nick Goodwin. And I'm Thomas Villianco with Villianco Hoops. And I'm Brandon Goebel with Juco Advocate and Verbal Commits. Guys, we're here with Blake Lawrence from Open Doors. Uh, Blake, why don't you start us off by just giving us kind of your background and what you do with Open Doors? For sure. Open Doors is an athlete marketing platform. Uh, we help 12,000 athletes around the world manage their relationships with content partners and commercial partners. So uh, it's a student athlete on campus that's getting content, photos, and videos from their, the school they play for or a pro athlete uh, that's getting his endorsement deals sent to him through uh, a simple uh, mobile app or text message that he can review, approve and sign contracts and, and with one tap. Right. So we have been around since 2012. Uh, Personally, my background, I played football at Nebraska, Nick, you know that. And uh, yeah, started a a social media agency less than a year after I was done playing ball, Um, built and sold that and started open doors back in 2012. So, uh, have the the journey from student athlete into the entrepreneurship world. And it seems like many student athletes are going to go through that journey here soon. So uh, like I told you, we're, we're talking about player name, image, and likeness today, um, which is obviously from the, the background of your business going to be something that's going to affect your life and your business pretty substantially. Um, can you just lay this thing out for us in layman's terms? What does a new policy look like in terms of player name, image, and likeness um, for athletes, for the NCAA, for schools? What does that look like? Yeah, so you know we've got a unique perspective on name, image, and likeness. Uh, our first partner less than a month after we started open doors, we got a phone call from the NFL players association and they asked if they could use our technology to help manage the name, image, and likeness rights compensation for pro athletes on social media, digital media, you know, promotions. And so we have that perspective, which gives us, you know, insight into what the market could look like. But when it comes to the NCAA policy changes, name, image, and likeness, really, what is that? Uh, you know, from the, Physical promotion is kind of like that first type of, of category people think about autograph signing or a photo shoot, a video shoot. And then you have your your physical product side of things where it's the jerseys and bobbleheads and trading cards. Then you move into the digital product where it's the video games and mobile apps. And then you get into the digital promotion, which is really this new era of name, image, alignment rights is you know, uh, YouTube monetization, you know, Twitch streaming, you know, getting paid to post on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, so all of those things combined right now, student athletes can't make a dime on that. You know that um, they can get a waiver certain times to make some money. Um, but with the state legislation coming through, it's really putting the NCA and, and those in charge in a position where they need to help student athletes get ahead of this, understand what name image likeness rights are. And ultimately finally allow them to monetize while in school. So what does that monetization process actually tangibly look like? Can, can players work directly with brands, agents, branding companies? Is there a limit to, to how much they can be compensated? Do they get the money right away? I guess like, what is that tangibly going to look like? Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, it's going to be interesting because there's obviously a lot of uh, different proposed structures. So there's over 30 States that have bills that are very, there's some are very similar. Some are different of what's allowed, what's not allowed. Uh, but ultimately, what those policies look like, there's only 
uh, best guesses, right, of what that could be. Um, and I would say that the NCAA desires something that is unique to college sports. So right now in the pro sports space, uh, a, a brand approaches an athlete and the very first thing is they get introduced to a manager or marketing rep, a, a publicist, or somebody that's going to negotiate a deal for them. And there's basic market rates, but ultimately the athlete's name, image, likeness value is going to be determined by how well their agent can negotiate. Um, what that creates in the college space is a lot of challenges of do you know, schools or does the NCAA, does, do student athletes need to have an agent or do they want agents in this market to help with negotiation? Um, can student athletes get paid an unlimited amount? Is there going to be a, a max? I mean, I think putting a, a max on it is damn near impossible without a unionized environment, right? So uh, without collective bargaining agreements, it's really hard to uh, limit one's earning potential in a free market. And so the idea of, of that is really off the table, I believe, in the first phases of NIL compensation. Blake, my question, my first question is, when you talk about agents, are you seeing that being one of the biggest hurdles with all this? Because we already know when it comes to agents in the college, it's always a very murky water or, or area. So do you see that being one of the biggest obstacles to get this done sooner than later? Yeah, and yes, I think the decision on should agents be allowed in the college sports name, image, and likeness space is a hurdle uh, for a couple different reasons. One, it's, it's understanding what role an agent will play in these transactions, and two, what role the agent will play in the relationship between the student athlete and the school. And that's going to be the, the biggest challenge is if agents are allowed to assist student athletes in understanding name, image, and likeness rights opportunities and uh, helping them receive compensation for it. That's one thing. But if they are allowed on campus and they're walking around the facilities and asking for more playing time to increase the NIL value of their guys, then get more percentage on a deal. Like that is something that is again going to turn college sports into pro sports real quick. You know, we work with 1200 agents uh, across the sports landscape that use open doors uh, to help manage opportunities for the pro athletes. And we love them. Um, and we know a lot of them are, highly focused on their highest, um, you know, generating or revenue generating athletes. And that same thing can happen in college sports. If you're allowed to have agents that are, are really focused on a very small few athletes, while the majority of athletes are going to be out fending for themselves in the marketplace. Like with the, uh, you know, whether there's an agent involved or, or not and, and unionization and things like that, the, the marketplace is so, separated from, you know, really the haves and have nots in college, right? So the, the highest elite athletes are going to command a lot of money, you know, for their, their name, image, and likeness. But the, the vast majority of the guys in the NCAA aren't going to have that, that kind of cachet to them where people, at least on a national level, care. So when you guys take a look at the, the picture of this, this whole college landscape, you've got this, this small fraction of the guys at the top that are going to have the biggest amount of money. How does, how does everybody else kind of fit into what the NCAA or, or, or how an outside source is looking at this saying, you know, a kid that might be able to sign some eight by tens for, you know, local kids and whatever, make a few bucks. It's so different than the Zion Williamson's of the world. So what, how do you, how do you navigate? Cause those are two completely different things, but unfortunately they got to fall under the same legislation. Yeah. The same rules have to apply and it's gotta be um, 
same across all levels of the NCAA, right? And, and all types of student athletes, all sports on campus. So, you know, finding a place where that's fair is, is interesting. Um, but access is a key component to this. So when you think about every student athlete right now, you're, you're right. Not many of them are going to get access or, you know, shoe deal offers or national brand opportunities. Um, but every student athlete across all levels of sport right now um, has access to create a YouTube channel, right? to set up an Instagram account, to push some things out on Twitter or Facebook. And those tools that are widely accessible and free become one of the most even playing fields for name, image, and likeness rights. So if an athlete, whether they are a star player or not, is able to leverage their time on campus to build an audience that follows them, um, whether they get, again, on the court or on the field or not, uh, that's a revenue generating opportunity for every student athlete. So when you think about what's fair and accessible, uh, I think the NCAA is, is looking to understand what is something that everyone has a, a free market opportunity to create and they can do it independent of agents, right? So if you guys want to channel and turn on monetization, you don't need an agent. If you want to start making money on Twitter, you don't need an agent, right? Those are, those are the types of things that I think will be the first foray into NIL compensation. Um, and the majority of dollars might flow through those types of methods versus what those uh, traditional endorsement deals entail. Just a little bit too complicated for uh, 500,000 student athlete marketplace. Blake, how do you see this impacting coaches? Like, what, do you, what are you telling? Are you talking to any coaches right now? Or do you have coaches that are hitting you up and saying, hey, how do I deal with this? Like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to approach this? Yes. Um, so from the coaching perspective, it is, you know, this next decade is going to be defined by how you answer the question when a recruit is on campus in their living room and they say, how are you going to help me build my brand? How are you going to help me make money? And interesting enough, the coaches have to have an answer to that because if they don't, they're, their competition does. Oh, I know right now that there's schools across the country that on the campus visits, it is about name, image, and likeness. It's in the packet. And it's like right here, this is, you know, they're talking about how much money that uh, pay the school every year. They're talking about how the, the television ratings, when they get these national deals, like what it means to come here is you're going to leave here with a championship and a brand that's going to make you money for the rest of your life. Like that matters. And if a coach doesn't have that in their back pocket, then they're going to miss out on the kids that really care about that. And the majority of this next generation of student athlete, they care about it quite a bit. So we got to be prepared for it. I guess another one that it's kind of a follow up to that. Um, how, I guess basketball, I think will be probably in terms of this question that I'm about to ask impacted the most. Do you think players will stay in college longer do you think they will not go to college at all? Do you think it'll be somewhere in between? Like, do you think that that will change much dependent on, on how this stuff fleshes itself out? I think that we are uh, four to five years away from having a first cycle through of what the real earning potential in the market is. And I think that there are some that are on the fringe of making it to the next level. Um, and if the NIL compensation is at the level where getting a deal with a team in Europe is equal to staying in your local market and, and maybe getting a championship for your, your, your team, um, coupled with, you know, the types of deals that seniors might get over 
sophomores in terms of compensation, there could be more incentive to stay in school and play all the way through because your earning potential is higher and your chance to have a legacy um, with a little bit of cash on the side, that matters a lot to a lot of those guys that are usually on the fringe anyways when thinking about leaving school early. I think there's, I think there's also a, a big piece to it too, especially for the guys that, that play. And I, I'm always going to talk in the context of basketball just because that's our thing. But also, basketball players are the most recognizable athletes. Right? I mean, they don't wear helmets. Right. And so, so you've got that aspect to it. But the guys that play at the Dukes and the Kentuckys and the North Carolinas, even on down to some of the, the lower levels of those high majors, a lot of what drives their uh, uh, image revenue is associated with that school. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if you just go straight to, to Australia or straight to the NBA or something like that, like there's not a lot of guys that have the, the recognizability of, of LaMelo. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you go to Duke, all of a sudden you're now you're recognized. Right? right. Even if, even if you're capable of going on and playing. So there's almost, unless you're just a no brainer. Cause now as we transition back to being able to being drafted out of high school in 22, I think, mm-hmm. is that what it is? Um, you know, you, you may just like Kwame Brown did not have the re- the recognizability, you know, other than, than being drafted by Jordan uh, as he would have, if Kwame had gone to Duke, and, you know, all of a sudden, like that really just drastically increase would increase his, uh, I, I guess, would increase yeah. his I, I revenue would, ability. Yeah, I would say that for any athlete, there is a, a significant benefit from being tied to a college fan base because fandom is irrational, right? Especially right. college sports fandom is not tied to any bit of your output in the professional level. Like it's the fact that you played at Duke or you played at North Carolina. That's why I love you. It's, it's, and for kids that skip over that experience, they're betting the whole boat, the whole boat that they become an all-star in the NBA because there's nothing to fall back on right now. If you go to the next level after a stint at one year, two years out of college, that fan base is going to love you forever because you chose them over that. And I think that that's important to understand that fans are the ones that are going to help determine how much of a following every one of these athletes has and that following is going to directly impact their earning potential from name image and likeness and so taking a a swing through and a one year on a college campus can give you a little bit of an insurance policy if you don't make it to the next level and have a tremendous amount of success you can still monetize your nil with that college fan base and those college sponsors for the rest of your life interesting yeah it seems like you know, we'll, I, like you said, we'll find out through the first cycle of four or yeah. five years what happens with it. But, uh, you know, and maybe there's some maybe there's some validity and, and value to some of those agents being a little uh, closer tied to these so that the um, discussion can really be based in real world where they say, you know, look, man, if you go straight to being, you know, second round in the, the late in the draft and, you know, wherever you end up being like your value is this. But if you go play at Duke. Mm-hmm. And and then you go late in the second round of that draft. Now your value is this, like that one year of college could have a drastic impact on what you're worth. Is there a chance that could decrease parity a little bit between the, the mid-majors that are, you know, currently able to compete with the, the more high profile teams with big TV deals and stuff like, is there a chance of that? I, I know that there are um, 
group of five schools right now that are positioning themselves as being the brand builders. Like they want to say, Hey, you're going to make the most money by coming here. Um, and it's the non, so some of the advantages certain schools already have is with licensing revenue. So Duke, I, I'm in New York city right now. I can go down to the corner store, you know, sporting goods shop and buy a Duke Jersey or North Carolina Jersey, Notre Dame, you know, there's certain of those programs have a prolific licensing revenue stream already. Um, but the other side of it is that I think there's more earning potential because it's not being split so many ways from a royalties perspective from one-to-one -one revenue and these mid-major schools that can provide resources to help student athletes build up that value. Now, the one thing is that schools are not going to have any part in soliciting and procuring and managing any of the transactions for student athletes. Like the student athletes got to play the game on their own. Right. But the schools can coach them up to the highest damn degree and then watch them walk out on the court and coach them from the sidelines. But they can't play the game for them. Right. But at the end of the day, the, the schools that are setting up the, the next class and all their student athletes on campus to have this earning potential, this brand building, they're going to have an advantage on the recruiting circuit and the conversations for transfers. Because, hey, so and so is making hella cash because they've got a great YouTube, uh, you know, monetization strategy over at, at XYZ college. Right. So might as well go over there. Cause I'm not getting play time here, but I know I could get my followers up and, and make some money over there. Like that matters. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I think from a recruiting standpoint, I'm not sure if it puts mid majors at a disadvantage because that stuff is already happening, right? The, the, the high major guys are already doing their thing. Guys very rarely are choosing Notre Dame over Duke already. Right. Like it's right. That, that part is there, but, but what I think you said there um, where a mid-major can take advantage is if I'm at a Missouri Valley school and I get ahead of the game and I say, look, you know, we're going to make sure we have all the resources in place to get the information to our guys as far as how and the who and the what and making sure that our community is involved because where the school can't, necessarily directly help a student with that sort of thing the school can still engage their fan base and community so mm -hmm. that they know where these student athletes are um, you know portraying themselves in the market and make sure that that those fans know like hey, hey you come to xyz school channel and whatever like our fans know where you're at and they're watching and they're following and they're retweeting and they're doing all that sort of thing. I mean, I think there's a big advantage to be had there. If you're a school that's smart enough to fall within the rules, but still like help that student athlete in, in any way you can make sure that they, you know, are seen and are then able to monetize. And now it becomes a recruiting pitch. Like, Hey, you know, our fan base is more engaged than all these other guys that are recruiting. Yeah, yeah you're right. And that's something that from the, leveraging the conversation about local sponsors and revenue in each market is going to be key for a lot of these coaches and, and those on the recruiting trail. Um, and I would say that more so than mid majors, I think schools that have a prolific program, so talking about basketball specifically, right? So if they have a tremendous football program and then underperforming basketball program, there's no doubt they still have a high level of, of revenue coming in from sponsors and that those sponsors will support the basketball team just as much as the football team because of that. Now I, to give uh, some love to an alma mater, of course, but Nebraska is a top five sports sponsorship market every year across the country, right? 
and they sell out every basketball game and the sponsors spend heavy on basketball activation and they're not winning many games, right? But now you turn that around and you think about, okay, if, if there's a school that, um, it, you know, like Georgia comes to mind, right? Georgia is a top five every year in terms of sports sponsorship. Georgia basketball is not somebody that I'm, I feel threatened by. If I'm in the SEC, but I would soon, right? Because, you know, those types of schools that have a significant revenue stream coming in mostly from another sport are going to have an advantage in having those same sponsors support athletes from other sports, right? Um, at, you know, basketball and, and beyond. Blake, I had a question. So when you played at Nebraska and when I played in college, how we did things were signings after games, spring games, March Madness, or not March Madness, but like uh, Midnight Madness for basketball. That's what you and I would do. We would sign autographs, we'd take pictures, and then that was kind of it. And then now, obviously, with the social media and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube channels and all these things, like what would happen, like you talked about Nebraska, that's one of the biggest things is fan day. And all like Alabama, where I'm from, I mean, Alabama fan days, Auburn fan days are huge. So what would that look like if I'm said player that's, I don't know, the, be- the best player on Alabama's football team and it's signing day for Alabama and there's 100,000 people coming through the, the stadium. Do I have a certain money, monetary already given to me and I can just sign away? Or what does that look like? Oh, man, you're going to make me get in the weeds a little bit. Um, <laughs> We're trying to ruin fan day over here. <laughs> uh, well, one, the uh, fan day is organized by the school. So you wouldn't, that would be a uh, non-compliant transaction type if you think about it that way. Um, one of the concepts to consider is that the name, image, and likeness rights value. I want you to envision fan day, right? If you've been to a fan day, you know the quarterback's line vision how long that quarterback's line is and then look at the starting center or the starting offensive lineman. Is it as long? No. Whose NIL value is worth more the long line or the short line. Right. And so what you do is instead of allowing two variables to control how much athletes are being compensated, you set a unit cost, right. And say that every autograph for anyone in this line, any athlete, is $10 an autograph, just hypothetical, right? Mm -hmm. And so if your line is longer, you have a higher name, image, and likeness rights value than someone with a shorter line. So if you make more money, it's because your NIL rights values are worth more than somebody has a shorter line. So then I take you to a point of, uh, again, good examples, bad examples, but Nebraska is going to be used here. Um, Keyshawn Johnson Jr., the year that he was a, a freshman wide receiver on the team, his line was longer than everyone's line. You know why? It's Keyshawn Johnson Jr. Guess what? His name, image, and Linus rights value was worth more. He had never played a down. He didn't even play a down at Nebraska, but he had NIL value. And that's the whole point, is that if you can tie the transaction to actual NIL use instead of per uh, you know, unit economics or unit costs on it, then you have a fair system. Right. If everyone's getting paid 10 bucks an autograph, but this guy gets more, it's literally tied to how much value he creates for the market, not tied to his position on the team. Blake, we've got a ton of coaches that I know that are going to be looking for creative solutions and ways to approach this whole situation. Um, can you talk a little bit about what Open Doors is doing with 
uh, with the University of Nebraska. I've read about it a little bit, and it sounds it sounds pretty fascinating and pretty innovative. Yeah. So, uh, openers, we've got seventy five partners across all of college athletics, right? And they they use our technology today uh, to help their student athletes and alumni uh, market themselves through social digital media. It's a very simple way to get everybody on the same page, and everybody wins. It's we've been doing that for five plus years. Um, but we've invited 25 schools to be a part of this ready program and Nebraska is the first one to sign on and announce. And it's a three part program, uh, taking all of the information that we've learned at the pro level over the last decade and working in pro sports on, uh, understanding how athletes under, you know, know their NIL value, how they can increase their NIL value and ultimately have the resources to monetize it at the maximum level. Uh, so it, it's taken all of that and bring it to all of our partners in college. So there's three phases to it. There's an assessment phase, which you go in uh, and imagine you're a strength coach and you've got a, a, a you're the new on campus. You're going to go in and before you tell anyone what to do in the weight room, you're going to analyze where they're at, like where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, and start to set some performance and benchmarks before you ever tell them how to lift. Same thing with this assessment. We go in and look at the NIL value of every student athlete on campus specifically through their social and digital uh, media platforms and say, okay, well, you're great on Twitter. You don't have Facebook. You don't have YouTube. You're good on Instagram. Here's how you compare it to other pro athletes. Like here's your earning potential if you were a pro today and those sorts of things. So then you can craft a, a plan. And then there's an education part where it's like the strength coach going in the weight room and saying, Hey, here's how we squat here. Here's how we lunge here. Right. So then for the student athletes in this program, they go through, and they get their assessment, then you say, okay, now here's how you can use YouTube to build an audience. Here's what you need to do on Facebook, on, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, so then that education phase transitions into a performance phase, which is ultimately watching them perform and, and studying, uh, okay, what's working, what's not, and giving them best tips and practices. So this program, as we look at the next decade, I believe that each school across the country will have a similar solution, uh, or, or if not this solution, similar to at one point, everyone realized they needed to have a weight room or a nutritionist or a training table. Uh, this is as critical to the student athlete experience in the next decade as a weight room was you know, decades ago. And Nebraska is the first school to bring it to every student athlete on campus. Blake, when you when you talk about just that right there, how you got to pretty much keep up with the times and there's always going to be people that are going to go against it. If if you and I, Blake, we, we know coaches that we had <laughs> that were like, you're not hurt, get out there. You know, I, I think it's there's going to be pushback, which I don't agree with because I'm, I'm pro player in a lot of ways because I was a player. Um, I could just see the pushback initially being that these coaches are like, why is player X, Y, and Z immediately leaving the court and checking their iPad and phone when they should be in the ice bath or we got something going on? So there, you know, I, I'm sure there's going to be some kind of law. I don't know what to call laws, but some kind of something that the NCA has to do to appease the coaches because there's so many old school coaches out there that are going to be like, the three hours is our time if one of our players gets on his phone. But, well, coach, I got to get on my phone. I got to check my this, this, this. You know, I, I, I just see that being if, you know. I know, man. It's uh, There are a lot of challenges to uh, building a team under a, an environment that changes often in terms of what matters to student athletes and what doesn't, right? A decade ago, it was very different than it is today. Um, 
but eventually it, the competitive nature of coaching makes it so that you don't get left behind when others are winning. And um, it will be interesting to see how schools, you know, how Kirk Ferentz at, at Iowa tells them to shut down social media the moment they step on campus and play football at Iowa. Um, and even Dabo Sweeney at Clemson doesn't let the guys use social media during the football season. Um, how long does that last? And, and uh, when others are allowing them to do it and they're getting paid to do it now. Right. So uh, it's, it's what I liken it to is that if a kid walked off the court and opened up a book and started studying for class because he wants to get better and get good grades, uh, would you stop him? Right. right. I mean, because exactly like, what are they here? Like, what are they there for? I mean, are they, they it's, it's an interesting uh, challenge of, of balancing out personalities in any, any uh, locker room um, and da- balancing out what people want, but it's about providing access or the opportunity for those two nephews to determine and ultimately make those choices. But uh, yeah, I think it's, that stuff it. just becomes so much more important now where, in a, in a weird way, and, and a lot of people hate hearing this, but that's going to be just as important as your grade in your English class. Because, I mean, look at, look, look, well, yourself, like your job didn't exist 15 years ago, right? The first company that you created and sold, that, that yeah. was never a job before, right? Yeah. And, and so, so now all of a sudden those things are just as important as your grades and all that sort of thing. And it'll be interesting to see where, you know, some of these old school coaches uh, are, are either going to have to adapt or, or fade away because people will use that as a recruiting tool. Hey man, you know what, when you come here, I'm never going to harass you about, you know, going to record something for YouTube and being on social media. You know, we want you to have every opportunity that's available to you, blah, 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 blah. And, that's now just like a recruiting tool, like anything else where it's, you know, not, not that what we can necessarily provide you because of rules and things, but like, we're just going to let you do your thing. And and the guys that fight that, you know? Yeah. I I think that there's a, I mean, if you think five, 10 years down the line or even sooner for some um, imagine that after practice, there's, there's literally a booth set up for you to go record your, your post-practice vlog. Right. And it's something that's going to be auto uh, captured and pushed your channel with your commentary directly from you. You own the media, you monetize it and setting up that type of opportunity, which then that's an asset media that they own in perpetuity. Right. right? And those sorts of things I think are going to be embraced while other coaches are still saying, Hey, put your phone down. Uh, End of the day, like you got to win games. Right. And, and the, an athlete, no matter how critical you want to be of an athlete that is trying to build their own brand, um, they know better than anyone in the world, they got to compete and win to stay on top. And so if they can compete and win and stay on top and have time to build a brand, like, so be it. If their brand building initiatives are going to lessen their likelihood of winning, they're going to stop doing it naturally. Right. So at the end of the day, like the best competitors in times of athletes and, and wanting to win on the court, they're going to have their own balance of NIL related activities versus, you know, competing on the court. Um, coaches have to either embrace that or maybe get left behind. Yeah. I got a, I got a feeling with your best athletes, you're going to see, uh, you know, there'll be all kinds of mistakes and that'll be the stuff that, that a lot of people focus on, but you're going to see your best athletes who now, in their free time or playing Fortnite 
are now doing this. And what's the difference, right? I mean, like, they're going to – no, it's literally – they're going to still play Fortnite. Well, this, so, yeah, they'll be able to monetize it. it. Yeah, like, they'll be doing their Twitch stream. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's the best part about thinking about this yeah. is nothing changes in terms of the athlete behavior. Right. They are already – They're still going to go put shots up. They're still right. going to – They're already signing autographs after games. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's like one of those things they're – they already eat at the the restaurant and the union, right? They just might get paid to do it next time. Right. It's part of their, their natural behavior. The things that are unnatural, like that's the part where it's really reserved for the, the top of the top athletes, right? Which is a photo shoot across the country or a video shoot, right? So a lot of these things uh, in terms of potential outcomes would be, you know, a student athlete can monetize NIL through physical promotions within 90 miles of campus. Right. And what you have to understand is that if you read through the recruiting guidelines, I know you guys know a hell of a lot about this is that a student athlete on an official visit can be entertained anywhere within 90 miles of campus. Anything beyond that is a violation and they, they're ruled ineligible. Right. So those types of rules you can just set in place and say, okay, most, most of this time you should just stay with on campus to monetize NIL. Um, and that's already natural. Guess what? They're already there. You know? Um, so it's just trying to not transform college sports into pro sports and have guys jet setting across countries for video shoots and photo shoots, taking time away from campus and their, their classmates and teammates. Um, but rather letting them monetize in the same way the dude in the dorm room one door over is monetizing NIL like that's what's coming. So Blake, my, uh, I guess biggest question is for, for coaches and, and parents and players, what do you suggest for the, the next year? Like what, what would you say is the biggest thing that, I don't know if you want to say all of them combined or just coaches and then parents and then players, what's the next big step that people should, should they be reading up on this stuff more? Should they be asking coaches? Should like, what do you think is the biggest next step for this for people? Um, I would say that find, find an athlete that you aspire to be on the field or on the court and your sport um, and study what they do to capture your attention. Right. And, and how they do it and start to mimic that behavior. Right. So just as you would want to be like Mike, then go watch how Mike played. If you want to be like Juju, go watch Juju's YouTube videos. Right. The dude makes straight cash on on video, you know, monetization on YouTube. And he's one of the best in, in the uh, not just in the sports realm, but in the realm of creators and influencers that are doing it. So find an athlete, study their behavior, mimic their behavior, just like you would to get a scholarship offer. Like you're going to be doing this to get an endorsement offer. It's like the same approach. I mean, verbal commits is going to just have a whole other side of it, man. It's going to just be uh, tracking endorsement deals across the country and given four or five stars based on brand value. But end of the day, man, like that shit, that matters. Um, Writing down notes now. I know. Uh, <laughs> but mimic the, the behavior that got you to the next level is going to get this whole name and likeness, this brand value to the next level. Um, so study mimic and uh, make it your own for coaches. Get with the times study up, make sure you're ahead of the curve. Yeah, buddy. What's the uh, head coach at Villanova? Jay, Jay, Wright. Jay, Wright. Jay, Wright. Jay writes in, in commercials, Nick Saban's in commercials. Um, you know, those guys got good agents helping them out, but, you know, coaches like that, they're already understanding that they have value. 
like Jay Wright, like what he does when he walks on the sidelines, he has his swag, right? Like the coach has got to be a brand too, right? It's, it's hard to take advice, you know, from a toothless dentist, right? Like you got to be a coach that is going to be on the sidelines, having your own story, your own brand and creating your own deals. Like, Hey man, I'm getting paid. You can too. Coaches that embrace that opportunity in the local markets are going to, uh, you know, practice what they preach. Right. Um, because, you know, Roy Williams probably isn't going to back you down in the post and hit a, uh, you know, dunk on you. But he has the same ability to build a brand like his student athletes can. And, and that's something that they can mimic. Um, so coaches that do that and, and lead the way, I think you're going to have an advantage. Blake, I got one more for you. <clears throat> Does NIL mean we are going to see the return of NCAA video games? Is it a, is it a done deal? Uh, you know, we answer, are. Blake? <laughs> what is the answer? Uh <laughs> We're partners with EA Sports, and so our, our buddies down there would love to, uh, you know, if you go down to Tiburon, you know, down in their studios down in Orlando, you, they still have the shrine to the, the game. I know that they want it back just because fans want it back. Um, it just comes down to how do you manage the group licensing rights. And what's different today than um, I, I believe some people are thinking like most of those are group licensing deals, right? And uh, all of the licensed product side, so physical product and digital product, there are a few stakeholders that make a lot of decisions that impact a lot of people, NFLPA and MLBPA and, and NHLPA. And, you know, all those things dictate how athletes get paid royalties on this, the performance of these products. Um, and so to bring NCA back, it's almost like you'd have to have a group licensing uh, mechanism in college sports, which becomes a challenge without a union. And, but one thing to consider is that if EA sports tomorrow tweeted out, Hey, if you're an NCA student athlete, you play football and you want to be in the next video game, click here, sign this document, upload this information. I think you would have 80% of student athletes ready to be in the game and agree to whatever terms EA sports says because of what that game means to a student athlete. Like I won the Heisman in NCAA <laughs> football 2010. Right. And I was uh, 85 overall. And I remember when the date that, that the ratings came out, I was like the most hyped up because they way over gave me like way too many <laughs> was faster than I should have been, you know, stronger than I should have been. But, um, man. So I think that student athletes want it back. Uh, just wants it back and it's a revenue driver for um, everyone involved it's just about having the right mechanism to make it fair and transparent across the board i can just imagine the revenue streams for student athletes on their twitch channels of playing you know the newly released ncaa game like it it would just be astronomical like you get you get some quarterback at, at you know auburn or something is twitching uh, you know, him playing himself in this video game and every flipping Auburn fan in the country would be tuned into this thing. I just, you know, yeah, it'd be crazy. It's a matter of time. It's just about what the mechanism looks like. Like how do you manage royalty payments for um, any large group of people that are not part of a union? Um, and technology is a, is a hell of a thing and they can replace some of the complexities that were reserved for long form, um, group licensing agreements that have really owned the royalty space and the, the pro market for a long time. Blake, thanks so much for your time, man. Is there anything else that we did not cover that you'd like to say? 
No, I'm good, man. I, I'm thankful for you guys having me on and the opportunity to, to share all this. I think that, um, Nick, you've seen our journey from the beginning, you know, from Audie and I and an idea uh, back of a napkin to making this thing what it is. And along the way, you, uh, you met with challenges and, and whatnot, but Audie and I always dreamed of what if we could get back and, and help guys just like us, right? Because the student athlete story um, doesn't always end with pros, right? And, and 99% of them never even get that level. And, uh, but if we go back in time, take what we've learned from our experience working with pros and bring it to college athletes, it would mean the world to us. And fortunately this, this policy change that's coming in next year is, giving us that opportunity and, and going to create a, a billion dollar market along the way. So we're proud to be in a position to help. Awesome stuff, man. Thanks so much. Appreciate Thank you, man. You. Thanks, Mike. Coach Kearns, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yourself? We're hanging in there, man. How, uh, how is life, uh, out in North Carolina with, uh, trying to, trying to keep your staff together, keep your team together, talk to those guys. What's, what's that look like for you guys right now? Well, it's challenging because it's just something we've never gone through before. There's no playbook for it. And, um, but I'm very confident that we'll get through it. I mean, everything that uh, we've been able to do in this world at this point, uh, being able to just do this right now, I'm confident that there's enough smart people that we can, you know, figure this out and get through it. But, you know, this is just uncharted waters for everyone. But as I told someone the other day, the unique part is we're truly all in it together. It's not like just California is isolated or Florida or New York, or the whole country is going through this. And even at the highest level in our, in our space in the NBA. And so like I told one of our players earlier today, Hey, LeBron doesn't have a gym to work out at right now, unless he's at his house. And, but he's going, they're all, I mean, I saw where Giannis is not working out. He doesn't have a gym. Like everyone's going through it. And so we'll get through it. I'm very confident we're going to get through this. And I think what well, at the end of the day, it's going to make us all appreciate going to class, uh, <laughs> um, you know, you know, doing some of the things that maybe we don't necessarily um, enjoy doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think there's across the entire, well, across the world with whatever somebody's in, but, you know, specifically to basketball here, the things that we, we uh, take for granted, uh, like you said, the, just, just being able to go to class or just even, being able to have a face-to-face conversation with somebody, you know, we were, we were talking about it the other day that we spend so much time on the phone. Right. And, and whenever we're around each other, we're always so busy, you know, we're running and going like chickens with our heads cut off and who knows, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll slow down a little bit when, uh, yeah. when we can actually get some face-to-face. It, for all of us in basketball, it's, it's impossible to do a, this job at home in the sense that we've got to go out and see people. We've got to go out and recruit. But it's been great to be at home and be with my, my family and, and get this time because normally I wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. be. So that's been, a, that's been a blessing for a lot of people. We've been able to work the phones and, and watch some film. We're all adapting, but um, it's, it's also been enjoyable to get this family time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we had a few things we wanted to go over with you today. Um, you know, we, we talked in our previous segment there about name, image, and likeness. And so, you know, kind of, this is such a new thing. And I know everybody has not really been able to kind of read up on where everything's at and, and that, but, you know, you guys are in a position where 
you know, there's different, there's different segments within basketball with name, image, and likeness, right? You've got your low, your mid, your high, you've got the Zions of the world that would have, you know, garnered all of this money. Right. But then you've got kind of more your mid-level guys that maybe it's on a local level, things like that. What, what, I, I guess, what are your own personal thoughts on, on how some of this stuff uh, has been presented and, and some of these changes that may be coming down the pike uh, in the future here? Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I, I'm all for, I'm all for it. I think that, you know, any way to, to the student athlete can, can, you know, use their name, image, and likeness. I think it's, um, I think it's our time for everyone to adapt and 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 let let these student athletes do this. I think that um, there's going to be a lot of positives out of it. Everybody talks about. Uh, you always hear the whole doom and gloom type scenario. I, I'm I'm more looking at the positives out of it, and and these kids are going to be able to. Um, you know, be able to brand themselves and experience some things that they normally wouldn't. And I think it just, I just think it makes sense. I think sometimes we get into the, the fine line of, of so many rules and things that just, at the end of the day, what makes sense? And this just makes sense to me that, that, that student athletes are going to be able to do this. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, something that we were talking about yesterday is where we were just kind of seeing where this, this virus thing continues to go. It's interesting how this, is going to impact things like name, image, and likeness. For example, that we may see budget cuts. Where we're going to see budget cuts of some kind, right? So, in our first podcast, we talked about the NCAA cutting the budget from six hundred million to three hundred and whatever it was for disbursement to NCAA teams. Well, that money's got to come from somewhere, right? So, is it going to be like Iowa State just reduced salaries, right, at, at some of their spots? So. Uh, cost of attendance could be one of the places that takes a hit. So if a player is able to get name, image, and likeness to kind of make up that ground, I mean, not everybody's going to have value in the market. It just is what it is. But, um, you know, in a weird way, this might help drive home that getting done because they say, well, shoot, kids got to find a way to make money because the money's just not there right now. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, over the next course of the month, you know, a few months, everybody's going to be able to, when, when hopefully things do settle down, but obviously, you know, just gloat, just non-basketball. I mean, I think 6 million people applying for unemployment, that's a serious issue yeah. uh, for this country, let alone how is a, a, a power five going to be able to pay their coach $2 million. I think that that's, th those are some issues that are going to start, you know, I think creeping up and, 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 you know, you've got some of these power fives paying coordinators in football, you know, uh, well over a million now. And so I think that um, that was the market, you know, that was the market. Well, the market's changed. Right. And, and so I think, you know, how do, how do these, you know, schools and places adapt to it? And I think we're all prepared, you know, for, you know, certainly 20%, 30%, whatever it may be cut, especially at state schools. It's just, it's just the reality of it. And, uh, but there, there, once again, there's some more serious issues out there and nationally that, you know, the fact that 6 million pe people apply for unemployment thing. So um, where does the money come from? You know, and, 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 and most of it comes from the TV deals. Well, if there's no games, there's no TV. You look at a lot of, I've been watching a lot of replays of, of college basketball games, just watching basketball. But when these TV, um, you know, the broadcast industry and the TV is going to, they're going to start, 
seeing some budget cuts hit as well. And then, that, you know, and it's just a, it's a, it's an interesting time. I'm not an expert. I don't really have all the answers other than I think we just all got to be prepared to adapt and, 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 and do what's uh, best for our, you know, in, you know, we, we all got to be team players. We talk to our team all the time about being team players and, and, and adjusting to your role and, and, and fulfilling your role and accepting your role. It's no different than us coaches right now. Uh, we've got to be acceptive and in, 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 into our new role, which is being a team player for our athletic departments and for our ADs and our presidents and, and adjusting to what's best for the university. Yeah, absolutely. Thomas, you got any questions on that before we move on? No, I, I just, I've always been a believer since I played college basketball and, and played pro. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in the kids getting a chance to earn money because most kids can't get jobs. They can't get summer jobs. They can't get a job during the season. So the name, image, and likeness is going to be huge. But because of what's going on right now, does it get pushed back six months, 12 months, a year and a half? Because there's so many other things on, on the plate that are way more important. Um, I just, I'm a big believer. If you're, going to, if you're going to do it, try to do it the right way. Have these kids save money. Have these kids put this money away. So something that's going to be beneficial, not just for a year, but for several years, some kind of fund that these kids can, can tap into when they're 30 or 35 or 40, just make it smart. That's my biggest thing. But again, things are being put on hold and maybe it's, it looks different in a year. I, I don't know, but that's always been my belief. Um, so hopefully it happens sooner than later. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think you bring up some good points there. Um, so I got to, I got to know coach Kearns when he was at Wofford and, uh, and, and I would call him and, and say, coach, I got, I got a player for you. And, and he would, uh, and he would kind of laugh and say, yeah, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't look at that guy, but you know, you know what B one of these days, I'm going to, I'm going to be in a position where we're going to, we're going to be able to talk players. And uh, so I, I got to kind of witness coach Kearns take over Presbyterian there uh, for that head job and, and build that thing into something special. So I really wanted to kind of dive into that process with him uh, here for, you know, our coaches that are out there listening, our players and parents and things to, to hear some of the things that he thinks about uh, with, with building the program uh, like that, who for and, and turning that around and now is, is working on doing the same thing at, uh, at Appalachian state. So um, coach, your, your first, your first two weeks at, at Presbyterian, when you got that job, and and you went in there and started looking around. What what were some of the things? What were some of the biggest things that you immediately uh, attacked and 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 went after and said, okay, here's where I got to start making changes. What I have to do first. Well, so so many things. You know, I, first of all, I try to be prepared. I had a list of things. Uh, what I would do if I became a. I didn't want to just be a head coach just to be a head coach. I want to be a good one, and so I really try to be prepared in a sense of. I had things I would do on the very first day of the job on paper, these 12 things, uh, the first two weeks on the job. And, and I tried to give those checklists the first three months on the job. And it, it'll take you, in, you know, 18 different directions when you get a job. But the very first thing you got to do, I think, is is get to the players. So I had one request when I got to Presbyterian. I had one request when I got to Appalachian State, and that was, I need the players' phone numbers and their parents' phone numbers right away. 
And so um, it, it happened to be uh, in a time in, in, in May in Presbyterian, so all the players were home. And so, but I called them literally as the very first thing I did uh, was call the players and their parents. And when I, when I got the job at App State, I, I, I certainly did the same thing and I was able to meet with these guys. But the very first thing that I told them was, I coach here, you play here, so you're my players. And you're never going to feel anything different. And, and so I think uh, you've got to start building those relationships. And one thing that I talk to our staff about is we try to, we want to lead the league in player relationships. Um, we try, we try to be a program of truth. So I, 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 but then I think you've got it. Now I've taken over two jobs that have been struggling. Uh, Presbyterian had 14 straight losing seasons. I've stated at eight straight. Fortunately, at both places, we've stopped both of those and had winning seasons. We had a winning season this year uh, here at Appalachian State, won 18 games. However, um, it, 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 those are the different situations than maybe, but I needed to defer. I think the first thing you figure out is, is why. And I think you, instead of making emotional decisions um, with recruiting and personnel, player, you know, coaching staff, you've got to really understand why that place has not been successful. And you've got to accept, you've got to ask a lot of questions. You've got to, so I met with the previous staff. I just asked them a lot of questions. You know, why did you think it didn't work? I took a lot of notes and I tried to find common themes. I met with other coaches on campus. I met with administrators. I met with just, hey, what were your thoughts on the program? And that was just their opinion. I wasn't saying what they were saying was right, but I tried to just figure out, I think before you win, you got to figure out what loses. Yeah. And so I, I tried to just identify that and pinpoint why those programs have not been successful and how to make them successful because to make them successful, you are certainly got to do some different things, but um like when I hear when I got to App State and I asked the players individually, what did you like? What did you not like? And, you know, I tried to, 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 to that was valuable information. I, I wanted to give them ownership, but I also, I wanted to learn what their opinion was. And Coach Kearns, I had a quick question for you. I really like what you're saying because I don't think it happens enough. I think people walk into a job and it's like my way or the highway and they, are going to get their guys in immediately and do things their way. Not everybody, but a lot do. And I, I know like how I teach my kids when I'm teaching basketball, I'm all about collaboration and Hey, let me know what you do. I'll show you what I do. Let's, let's meet in the middle on some things. And I think it's huge for you. And obviously it's, it's shown a lot of success every place you've been. I want to talk to the old staff. I want to talk to the players of what wasn't successful so I can make things right. And we can, we can look at the past and build a better future. And I just, I know a lot of coaches, I won't say names, but they don't have that thought and they haven't been successful. So maybe that's a huge thing that you're, <laughs> that you, you've been doing. That's why you've been so successful, which I really appreciate. Well, once again, I think you just can't, I appreciate that. I, I just think that you can't be emotional. You know, I think that, that it's easy to come in and just make emotional decisions and your, your personnel, your roster, and your coaching staff are your most important decisions. Um, and you win with people. 
and, and so at Presbyterian, we won with some guys that had been there. We won with some guys that had been there. Um, at App State, obviously here, we won with some guys that had been here. And so to change their mindset, that's a whole other different process. That, that, that's down the road uh, in August and, and September type thing when you take over a job is really start changing the mindset of the players and letting them believe and understand how, they, how you went in. But at both places, um, I thought this was a critical exercise. I, I, I got with a team at both places. And I went to the dry race board the locker room. And I said, what does a loser act like, walk like, talk like, work like? And their answers, both places were different, but some of the same themes. And so I just wrote them all up on the board. You know, lazy, uncoachable, doesn't listen, doesn't work. Um, but each team had 20 or so different answers you know, a lot of common things because I needed, once again, they know the answers, right? And so everybody wants a winning culture until they're part of it. And so both teams, we went through that exercise and I said, okay, so these are your answers of what you think a loser acts like, talks like, works like, acts like. You're going to come in this locker room every day and you're going to say, that's not me. And that's not us. And I'm going to leave it up here until I feel like your mindset's changed. And both places, I left it up there for months, months, until they felt like, I felt like that they truly felt like, hey, that's not who we are. We're not like this. Because once again, it's their answers. Because I told them, before we win, we've got to understand what loses. You can't just show up and say, hey, yeah, I'm going to win. Right. You've really got to understand what loses first. And so I thought that was a critical exercise at, at, at both places. And certainly at both places, we've been able to, to change that and, and, and stop uh, long losing seasons at both places, you know, pretty relatively quickly. Um, but I thought that was helpful because it was, once again, it was their answers. It was their ownership. Right. No, I love that. Um, when you, when you when you went in there at Presbyterian, uh, what were some things that you that you did that you tried to do maybe or didn't even you know finish accomplishing? But that you like like what were some of the mistakes you made that you have then adjusted to uh, once once you took over at App State that you were able to learn from that experience? What were some things that you maybe thought you know I okay the next time around I'm going to do this different. I, I did some things. That's a great question. Okay. I did some things similar because I felt like it worked at Presbyterian. However, there was something that I did that I don't, I just still don't know if it was the right thing to do. Um, I didn't watch film on any player. Um, I ended up doing that at both places. I, I still, I question that at sometimes because I felt like at Presbyterian, I should have. Uh, because I felt like maybe I, I didn't understand exactly maybe what we needed that first year, for, you know, recruiting wise. But my, what I tried to do was give the players an honest and fair chance. Mm -hmm. I feel like that some players are better players than maybe they show. They just need a new uh, way of doing things, a new energy, a new 
to, to show it. And so I went in there and I told him, so I'm not going to watch film on any of you. I haven't watched film on any of you, but I truly didn't. There was some time, there were one time I had synergy pulled up and I X'd out of it because I, I told him I wasn't going to do it. And, but I, it was a recruiting thing, but I, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a, for our team thing, but I felt like maybe for a recruiting standpoint, I probably should have. Now my assistants did, but I told the players, you are getting a fresh start. Right. I have nothing. I have no idea about your game. I have no idea. And I just thought that was the fair and right thing to do at both. I did it here too. Um, because I felt like the, the yeah, Presbyterian, but, but looking back, I do question that because I felt like my first year at Presbyterian, I probably, I probably needed to have a better handle on our roster. Uh, certainly we got through it, but um, I just, I just really wanted to truly give the players there a, a fair and honest new start and with, with no uh, prejudging or anything like that. And, 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 Listen, we had a kid here at App State this year that averaged three points a game last year. He averaged 14 this year. Yeah, geez. We had a kid at Presbyterian when I got there who made three threes in his first two seasons. And our last two seasons with him, he made 47. <laughs> so those are a couple examples of guys that they just needed a fresh start uh, to, to showcase what they could do. And certainly, uh, you know, but so th therefore I thought it did work. But that would be one thing that I think comes to mind. I, I probably should have maybe watched something just to have a better feel for recruiting. Right. Available scholarship. Well, I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting approach. And I, you know, I might be yeah, obviously the, that's never done. That. <laughs> you, I think you might be coach. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the, the interesting thing about it now, because obviously the proof is in what you've done right with what y'all did at Presbyterian and what you're doing in Appalachian state now is uh, you, your kid that averaged 14 points a game this season at app state. If you'd gone back and watched that film, maybe you would have had some preconceived notions that weren't accurate that, that, you know, maybe it wouldn't have happened. Um, sure. Sure. And I go back to that and think, you know what, therefore it helped that kid. And he was a junior college kid, by the way, he was going into his senior year and, um, you know, he made 21 threes last year as a junior. He made 67 this year. Wow. Um, he had an incredible career, best career. You know, the kid at Presbyterian, we went in and he made, he made three threes in two years. If I'd have watched film, I would probably thought, man, but he ended up being a heck of a player, made 47 threes in the last two years. So, I mean, I think it worked, but also I, you know, I also, I just feel like our first year at Presbyterian, we maybe could have used the, 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 available scholarships a little differently if I would have just known a little bit more, but it worked out, worked out. I, I truly wanted to do what's best for the kids and, and give those guys, you know, I chose them. And so I wanted to, to give those guys a fair shot. And I certainly think they, you know, appreciated that. Absolutely. Well, uh, last thing we got for you is uh, we call it story time. And so we're going to put you on the spot and Whatever, whatever you want to to talk about, whether it's whether it's at App State or Presbyterian or before that, just tell us a story that that you think would be beneficial to to you know if there's young coaches out there listening, something that's just different that you know kind of not everybody knows uh, that that is maybe 
you know, something that, that would help somebody listening out there. Hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I didn't play at North Carolina. I didn't play for, you know, Calipari. Uh, I just really wanted to be a basketball coach. At some point, the ball bounce stops bouncing for all of us, but it can happen. If you're a young coach out there, you got to just bet on yourself. You got to believe in yourself. I mean, th- th- I was a, a no one from Kingsport, Tennessee is where I grew up, but I remember uh, getting the opportunity when I was 19 years old to, to, I'd never been west of Nashville. I grew up in Tennessee. I'd never been west of Nashville, Tennessee. And so I got an opportunity throughout, I guess, just hard work and trying to do the right thing of going out and working Michael Jordan's flight school in Santa Barbara, California. I remember telling the coach, I, I can't do that. I've never been west of Nashville. I've never, you know, I can't, I can't do that. Um, and so going out there and I had a good buddy of mine from college who called me one time and he said, you're never going to believe who I just got off the phone. I just talked to John Wooden and I was like, how'd you do that? And, and so he, he's, he's an entrepreneur. He's done really well now, but at the time he was just kind of a young go-getter who was 19 years old himself. And he said, I just told him, hey, I got a really good friend that's getting into college coaching. Here's his phone number. I said, <laughs> what, do you, what do you want me to do with that? He said, call him, leave a message, mention my name, and that we just spoke. And we just spoke. And, and so I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm going to call John Wood. Really? So I call the number, start leaving a voicemail. Hey, Coach Wooden, I just, it's an honor. Um, I just spoke to my good friend, picks up and literally I said, coach Wooden, it's an honor to speak to you. He said, thank you, coach. It was like five seconds. Click. So <laughs> I'm a guy that had just gotten a cell phone. Okay. I'd never had a cell phone. This was kind of when cell phones were popping up. So now I'm supposed to go out to California in August to work this Michael Jordan flight school. And I never traveled the world. My parents were like, you can't do that. You, 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 you never done that. Like, what are you talking about? So I started thinking one day, well, I'm, while I'm out in California, what if I called Coach Wooden? Because I'm going to fly into L.A. And then I took a bus from L.A. up to Santa Barbara. I got on the Santa Barbara Airbus and like a Greyhound and rode it up to Santa Barbara. And so, um, and I'll never forget this is, this, I'm going to make this a short story, but it could be long. As I, as, as I got picked up off the Greyhound, the Michael Jordan camp picked up me and Andre Iguodala. I didn't know who else was working the camp. Me and Andre Iguodala to go, to go over and work the Michael Jordan camp. Well, anyway, so I call Coach Wooden back, and I'm thinking, you know what, if he says no, he says no. Sometimes you got to have a little big go-getter to you, right? And so I call Coach Wooden back. Hey, Coach, i leaving a message. i Three months ago, I called. He picks up. I said, listen, I'm going to be out there working at camp. Is there any way I could come by and meet with you? He says, sure. So we, we get a date um, after the camp was over. And so once the camp was over, which on the last day of the camp, coaches, everybody gets to basically meet Michael and get the picture with him. So 
I, I, I was able to do that, which was just incredibly humbling as it is anything. I'm like I said, I'm a nobody. All right. And so I, um, I get on back on the Airbus, I get back on the Greyhound. I go down to LA, um, drive over, you know, I didn't drive, I, I cabbed over to John Wooden's, um, condo. He said, call, uh, when you get here. And basically he looked out of his kind of, um, window to see who was there. And so went over there, you know, went up and he opened the door in his pajamas. It was about five o'clock that day. So there I'm sitting in John Wooden's apartment. I'm a nobody, just aspiring young coach and just pick, you know, so I met Michael Jordan the same day and then John Wooden, arguably the greatest athlete and the greatest coach. And so I sat there and I started asking him some basketball questions. He would always say, Hey, just read my book. <laughs> and so then we started talking about just life. Three hours later, all right, as I'm sitting there, he's getting phone, the phone's ringing, the phone's ringing, his daughter's calling, all this stuff. So we just start talking about life. And I mean, I, and so I said, Coach, this has been unbelievable. This has been a dream come true. But we better, I better get out of your hair here and let you. He said, Listen, I've really enjoyed this. Would you like to have some ice cream and talk some more? So this place, uh, made lemon custard, which was UCLA brewing gold just for him. <laughs> so I'm in coach Wooden's apartment in his kitchen, scooping out lemon custard for me and him. So we went back and ate our bowl of ice cream or cut lemon custard. And we talked for about another hour. Uh, I, I was able to go back out to Jordan camp the next year. I did it again. And I called him and, 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 and went, met with him again. I got a ball signed by him. I got my picture with him, but it just started out. And if you're a young coach, listen to this. Sometimes, man, you, you, you just assume that and they'll say, no, or, you don't know until you try. You don't know. Okay. When, when I first talked to you, okay. Mm -hmm. What was that? Four, four years ago. I mean, and thereabouts. five years ago. Um, now look at you now. I mean, I think, I think it's just an incredible story. How many lives you've impacted in the last five years, um, just with a, with a dream and an idea. Right. And so, but you never know until you try. And so I just started with a, a phone call and, and, uh, but a light. Um, I hope that's good story time. For Man, that's a heck of a story time. That's that's something else. Jeez, I, I didn't think you were going to come with that kind of heat. Goodness gracious! Well, let me tell you about the time I met Michael Jordan and John Wooden in the same day. <laughs> well, I was thinking of a good story. I uh, I'm honored to be on here this podcast, uh, especially early on, and I, I just want to go on record and saying I think it's it's in, there's not there's 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 people in basketball and you know what's your why? Why do you do stuff? You you want to impact people. You guys impact people, man. You impact lives. You're in it for the right reasons. That's not always the case. And I'm just, I admire you. I admire, uh, it's a true service to kids and their families and, and you've impacted lives and changed lives and, and, and it just keeps getting better and better. And so I commend you. Uh, and, and, and it's just remarkable that to, to, to know you back before this all started and then to look and see what's it's transpired to, it's, it's truly remarkable. And that's a, that's a story in itself. And so I congratulate you. 
I appreciate you so much, Coach. That really means a lot. It really does. Well, we loved having you on today. Um, we'll uh, we'll be looking forward to talking to you soon. All right. Go Mountaineers.